Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses World with the World War II gave us writing for Godot and Oklahoma. Without the arts, we are diminished. We had the kind of creative freedom. I was, I was on television as a child, and then I had I was in Cotty's happy hour. She leaned across to me and she said, one day, you know, you'll be doing that. Mind-boggling. They were even lined with purple leather. Uh, went to the ABC and audition. I was so fit at the end of that, you could have ended me in the Melbourne Cup. I, and I still firmly believe that great work can be made in small places. If nobody's going to respect your talent, you've got to respect it. I hope I've been entertaining, that's all. Well, that's very kind of you, Peter. But you are a friend. <laughs> and as are you. Yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and welcome to Stages, the podcast that converses with creatives about craft and career. One of Australia's most loved and enduring comedy characters, Bob Down, is the creation of journalist, comedian, actor and broadcaster Mark Trevorrow. Born in Melbourne, Mark started his working life at 17 as a copyboy with The Sun News Pictorial, before co-founding cabaret comedy group The Globos, who released two Australian top 20 hit singles, Tintorella de Luna in 1982 and The Beat Goes On in 1983. He created Bob Down in 1984 and has toured the world as the Prince of Polyester ever since, becoming one of Australia's most loved and enduring comedy characters. Mark Trevorrow is presently taking Bob on tour in Viva Bob Vegas. Catch it if you can. It's a joyous celebration of camp, crooners, lounge and laughter. Bob always delivers. So does Mark in this fervent and fabulous chinwag for stages. On a wonderful day like today I defy any cloud to appear in the sky Dare any raindrop to blow in my eye On a wonderful day like today On a wonderful morning like this one When the sun is as big as a yellow balloon Even the sparrows are singing it On a wonderful day like today On a morning like this I can kiss everybody I'm so full of love and goodwill Pay the bill. Well, every day this occasion is same. I know you're raging and down on its knees. Show that we're grateful for mornings like these. For the world in a wonderful way. On a wonderful day like today. Got a day. Go to a party. Can you believe it? A drinks party. My God. Back to back to reality, back to life. Can you remember what they were? A like? Saturday afternoon drinks party with a whole lot of queens with a swimming pool. Shame it's not yesterday. Yes, the, the weather's a bit unpredictable of late, isn't it? Oh, yeah. But it always Where is this time of year. Yeah. It always is this time of year. Yeah. Well, um, Mark, Bob, Mark Trevorrow, Bob Down, Bob Down. Uh, do you answer to both? Yeah, I do. Because right. people uh, people call me uh, Bob really unironically. And they always start apologising. And I always say, it's fine, I answer to both. So, I, And also, the drag queens refer to, have always called me Bob, and which is, you know, the highest compliment from drag artists all call each other by their drag names in or out of drag. It's like a mark of respect and, you know, knowing who, who you are and what you do. So I love that, that the queens call me Bob. 
So because Bob's your drag name. That's right. It's my Bob is my drag character. Yeah. I sort of inv- it's like he's like a drag king before drag kings were thought of. <laughs> Mind you, there's always been as many male impersonators, women male impersonators, as there have been men that have done um, women. women. You know, going right back in history. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Drag. Well, see, Bob is my drag queen. Bob is my response. When I was, as soon as I hit the gay scene when I was 17 and 18, I was obsessed with drag shows. I used to go every week to Pokies to see Doug Lucas and Michelle Tozer and all them. And I, I was that little queen sitting on the edge of the stage, on the edge of the dance floor. Um, Pokies, I think, was my first gay bar as well. It was fabulous. Behind the Prince of Wales. All over by 10. In St Gilda. All over at 10 o'clock. Um, and the times where you'd buy a ticket and you, you had to have a meal. So mm-hmm. there'd be a Bay Marie and mm-hmm. you'd go out and get some dim sims or yep. a bucket of chips. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to serve now, the they show. had to serve food. Otherwise, yeah. they didn't have a cabaret license. Yeah. I know Melbourne was, you know, because I caught that sort of tail end of, of the real old school Melbourne gay scene when I was you know, came out in the late 70s. And so um, I drag was very trad. Brilliant too, but very traditional. Mm-hmm. And Doug Lucas was so clever on, and funny on the mic. So that was very, you know, all that stuff was, I had no inkling that I was going to perform. Even though I was obsessed by theatre and cabaret and drag and show business, I was obsessed by it as a fan. I was a, like a groupie at the Rocky Horror Show. Well, a lot of these, those drag numbers were, 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 were show numbers from Vegas and, yeah. and, and musical theatre. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Capriccio's was the, you know, apogee of, is that what you say? Is that the word? Apogee um, of that, wasn't it? Yeah. Capriccio's, the Capriccio, because Max Phipps took me to see the Capriccio shows in se- probably 77 and 78. I saw two of the Capriccio shows and they were mind boggling. Right. And it wasn't that long after that that we created the Globos, which was the same idea, all lip sync with dialogue as well. Lip sync, uh, t- a, a lip sync pop show with ads and links all lip synced yes yeah, so we'll talk about the globos during this this conversation but there's there's lots of influences i'm sure from from your youth mm. uh, oh whether, god whether yes. it be pokies or you, you said you were a um, rocky horror show group yeah you? the melbourne season of the rocky horror show ran from 75 to 77 at the old regent palace telly theater an old vaudeville house that had been turned into a channel 7 production studio mm. that's where they did all their big um production shows before they built their studios in South Melbourne they'd used this old vaudeville theatre then it was dark for years and then uh, Harry Miller rented it and Brian Thompson built his set right up against the uh, the balcony so you just everybody just sat in the uh, what was the back half of the stalls under the under the balcony and so behind that was all this wonderland of uh, old props and sets and things from from Video Village and Sunnyside Up and everything. It was like and and then what happened was they built um, well they'd done it when it was a TV studio. All the dressing rooms were at the back of the um, what was the had been the balcony. So you went up that grand staircase mm. and into and just with a wall built in and that was where all the dressing rooms were. It was quite magical, a bit like a showbiz graveyard. Oh, it, it, but it was also it was so happening and hip because yeah. it was Rocky Horror. Yeah, and every every show was like a party, and I used to go every week, and they used to just let us in free because we were fans. Yeah, the Rocky Horror Show in its recent incarnations has um, well, it's lost like, a bit of its well, soul, it's, hasn't it? It's, it's it certainly has. Yeah. It's yeah. turned into it's too glossy. I don't know what it's turned into. It's out of its time. And so it's become like a um, panto. Mm. 
And it, sh- it should be played darker than that. A panto with celebrity casting. Yeah, yeah. and really boring celebrity casting, so you, so, may so I you say. Can't, yeah, you can't invest in, in the story. Because yes. So at least John, like at least someone like John, a proper you know singer-actor is doing the part at the moment down in, well, was doing it down in Hobart. Like John O'Hara. Yeah. yeah. So someone like him is the person who should play yeah. Frank, not Craig McLaughlin. Craig yeah. McLaughlin was really great as Rocky. It's too many muscles for Frank. Yeah, I don't, and as we know, we don't like men with too many muscles. <laughs> so your Frankenfurter was Max Phipps? Yeah. So oh you, my you, got God. To, you got to know Max? Yeah, you? Well, you yeah. Him, right? because me and my mate David, David was the one who drove all this, my gay friend from school, um, he dragged us there and, and we just started going every week. And, and of course, you just... If you're a regular, you just get invited. Uh, but after a while, you get invited backstage. And then you hang around backstage. And, and it was just so fabulous being backstage. It was my first experience of all that, of what a dressing room in a long run. It was very magical. Mm. I've got great pictures. Mm. I, in fact, I've got incredible pictures, which I can send you. Yeah, please do. Um, I've got pictures of uh, Max in, at, at, his, at his dressing room chair at his dressing room uh, mirror just surrounded by stuff with Denise Drysdale on his lap I've got um, visiting backstage when she was like the biggest female star in the country ding dong uh, I've got beautiful photos because they had been in funny thing happened on the way to the forum oh. when she was 16 she was yeah. in the chorus and he was um, I think he played the two one of the juve leads you know the, the two hero sexy, hero and yeah I think Max was that right. and she was totally in love with him and she declared her love when she was 16 for Max, and he just laughed and said, darling, you know, you're batting, it's, I bet for the other team. And she was so stunned and shocked, she slapped him. <laughs> as, as, as you do. As oh, you do. Denise, oh my God. Um, these conversations, you know, through six degrees of separation, we can, we can access certain people and, and, and Max Phipps. Tell me about Max Phipps. Max Phipps was just, uh, he was just a star. He was just like, uh, he was uh, so charismatic and he was very... Um, he was really uh, upfront about giving you, giving everybody advice and opinions about what should and ha- what. He was a very classic Scorpio. He was, he was, he had huge leadership qualities, and so people were devoted to him. He was surrounded by a coterie of very devoted friends, mm. and he had a gorgeous boyfriend at the time, who's still a good friend of mine, um, John Fabian, who's now you know, long married uh, to a woman and has a grown-up son. But back then, uh, Fabian was Max's boyfriend. And so it was a sort of a great introduction to a really good uh, version of theatrical gay life for me to soak it all up because I, I hadn't really come out. It was part of my coming out, going, being a regular at the Rocky Horror Show at the age of 17 and 18. And uh, I think I, if I think back on it, Max knew that and didn't push it and didn't just was so gentle and so he understood totally what he was looking at with me and my friend David, you know what I mean? Two little baby queens and he was very kind. They were all super kind to us and super natural around us and it was just a great way, a great introduction to theatrical gay life and you know how bad that can be if you meet the if you work with the wrong people mm. at that impressionable age. Absolutely. And of course there was no question of me performing at that time. David was the one who... Uh, David was the one, my friend David was the one who'd been the star of all his school productions. So that was his gig. You know, he, he would put on numbers in the lounge room and I would carry the drag, you know, I'd carry the drag, you know what I mean, if he did a number at a bar. So I was that kind of, I was like a fan. 
I don't know why it hadn't occurred to me to start performing, but it just didn't. Was coming out an easy experience for you? No, not at no. all. Not back then. God, no. Because no. I, I was already working at the... I started at 17 working at the Sun as a copy boy. I started my cadetship as a copy boy at the Sun. And, uh, and, and I made a lot of great close friends there that I'm still friends with today. But it was really early on pointed out. I was really made to feel the odd one out in a way that I probably wasn't fully conscious of. Um, you know, that sort of disapproval that surrounds you and you don't really... Because you just sort of grow up with that if you're a gay kid. And you, you sort of tend to filter it out or something. It was still that era, mm. you know what I mean? It was the tail end of a really homophobic era. What a blokey environment. Very. A newspaper Extremely. Yeah, yeah. And I was told really early on by one of my young female colleagues that it would be, you know, who I'd come out to. It was very, you had to be very selective who you came out to. And I was told really early on that it was, wasn't a good idea for, to make it known. I was sort of like, well, what choice did I have? You should, you know, wait, you see the pictures of what I was wearing and everything. <laughs> High-waisted, tight staggers, you know, slacks and tight little, uh, you know, open neck shirts, you know. It was hilarious. I mean, you couldn't cover up. You know, I was not the sort of person you knew I was gay by looking at me. Obvious, really, isn't it? When my baby, when my baby smiles at me, I go to Rio, De Janeiro, my Mio. I go out and then I have to do the samba and the bamba. Now I'm not the kind of person with a passionate persuasion for dancing or romance, but I get into the rhythm and my feet follow the beating of my heart. When my baby, when my baby smiles at me, I go to Rio and Janeiro, my Mio. When my baby smiles at me, the sun lights up my life. Those men only spaces of, you know, look, 20, 30 years ago, uh, my dad was a car salesman. And I remember occasionally going into the, the garage where the mechanics were working cars and, you know, these calendars with, yeah. with women with their, their breasts exposed. Mm. And, you know, mm. it was very... Yeah, and the, and this, the, the Herald Sun office, were the journalistic offices, were even though there were a lot of women, um, it was, you know, like compared to other workplaces, though, when I look back, women were a, a lot more equal in a, in a media... Uh, setting do you know what I mean they weren't just secretaries they were journalists as well mm. and in fact some of them was like some of them were like the women's editor the, the editor of the women's page was a very respected Melbourne journalist called Caroline Ross who I I was put in there for six months as a young feature writer so I was put in so I that was the thing they didn't approve of me being the you know little party boy poof that I was becoming but at the same time I was a really good writer 
I was the best of the of the young all the young writers, so that gave them the absolute pip. Do you know what I mean? They would have got if I couldn't write as well as I did, they would have got rid of me a lot sooner than they did. Yeah, they had to have. Yeah, yeah. Gee, the, the Herald Sun, and and at the time of the the Truth as well, the Truth yeah. newspaper. And as it turns Export. out, Cindy Richie was working on the on Truth as a copy boy. We found out all these parallels. We didn't know each other in Melbourne. So he came up here in 79. I didn't come here till 82. So we're talking about um, Cindy Pastel. Cindy Pastel, course, Richie yeah. Finger. And um, so he was a copy boy at Truth. Wow. Isn't that amazing? He didn't write Heart Balm, did he? No, I think, but I think they all wrote Heart Balm. Yeah. I think they all went to the pub and that was what they did. They all yeah. went to the pub and made up, got drunk and made up the stupid questions. That was so saucy, though. Yeah, that's what I mean. Though. Yeah. Isn't that hilarious? That's like, hilarious. Truth, Truth, the whole history of... The, I reckon there's a really great... Um, doco or book or something about truth because of the the origin the origins of it with um what's his name john norton mm. you know the the, the um, incredible character that he was he he'd been elected to parliament about four different times up through the 1880s and 90s he was a wild wild man of sydney and a newspaper baron wasn't yeah he, he yeah, started right. truth right okay. yeah truth was the was the first gossip rag it was everybody. a Melbourne paper, though, wasn't it? No, no, it had no. no it had Sydney. No, it started in Sydney, right. and then there was a Melbourne edition started. Right. Yeah. No, it was a Sydney paper. Oh, dear, dear, dear. And then, of course, in the twenties and thirties, it would cover all the bohemian gay life and the underworld. Hmm. There's a great documentary about there truth, is. you know. To be made, or yeah, to be, oh, yeah. to be made. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My God. Oh, dear. Mark, what what do you find funny? What makes you laugh? Uh, what makes me laugh is uh, well-crafted old-school comedy. I've just been to, I'm, I've just spoken and sang at Doug McLeod's uh, funeral in Melbourne yesterday, and um, and I, I performed, I, I did the greeting cards that he wrote, the comedy greeting cards, which I've never stopped doing in my live shows, which he created. He wrote for the Bob Down show, the Foxtel series that I had that he was the writer on. It was the only time, we, we were friends for 30, 40 years, but it was the only time I'd ever got to work with Doug. And it's the only time anybody's written for me. And he wrote these genius uh, comedy greeting cards, which I read. And they're, they're, they're a great example of what I call, you know, well-crafted comedy in which if you read them exactly as written and put the punctuation exactly where, they sh- where it should be, it just can't fail. You can just read it. You can just recite them completely straight-faced, and they never, they will never fail. So I love that kind of craft. I'm a big fan of old-school crafted comedy. And usually it delivers that tag, which comes out of nowhere. Totally, like a yeah. bomb. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like the best example of of the, one of these cards is: um, you smoke cigars, you visit bars. Your beard is long and grey. Despite <laughs> all this, I'd like to wish you Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Yeah, that's Doug. That is classic, Doug. Because you and had I, this vision of somebody. Yeah, that's right. You, and then you paints a picture mm. and then and then blows it up. Yeah. And, and the other one is, um, we're, uh, we're sorry you're in hospital and think of you each hour. We hope they can remove that thing you fell on in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> that's Doug. That's a genius. Gold. Doug was the script editor of Kath and Kim. Mm. Doug wrote Full Frontal and Fast Forward. D- Doug wrote with them on Something Stupid and Big Girls Blouse. I mean, Doug's a... Uh, he wrote Comedy Company. Doug is like a, a key uh, figure in, in Australian comedy. And, and pokes at the cheeky and the naughty without being vulgar. That's right. Yeah. He, he, he stops on that inside of, of the level of... Uh, he's just 
just stops inside of it becoming something really that you can't broadcast. Mm, mm, mm. So um, I love that kind of... And, and you see people revere all of those uh, old comedians who seem so, um, you know, ad-libby and so uh, relaxed and, and making it up as they go along, but nobody, none of them made it up as they went along. Um, you know, Jack Benny and Bob Hope and all those... and, and uh, Joan Rivers early, you know, back in the day, Phyllis Stiller, uh, Peter, Pete and Dud, although there was Pete and Dud and um, Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin, there was a lot of improvisation, but what they would do is they would improvise and then they would keep the improv- improvisations, you know, like, so everybody that people think of as being brilliant ad-lib comics, yes, a lot of those lines and routines were ad-libbed, but then they were set. Mm. And so that's, that's the kind of comedy that I sort of revere and not what I do myself. Well, and, and like the television growing up, uh, you oh, know, yeah. with, with Graham Kennedy yeah, and, and yeah. Bert Newton. You growing know, up in Melbourne Bert. was really... I was really blessed growing up in Melbourne because Melbourne TV was full, like it was here too, but Melbourne particularly uh, was full of the old vaudevillians from mm. the Tivoli circuit who went straight onto TV and took all of their Tivoli sketches mm. onto TV. Mm. They all had trunks of sketches, which were old, hand-me-down, sort of, um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, you know, public, almost like public domain. You know, like like uh, sketches that were not copyright. They were so old that had been done by so many different times in so many different places. So again, you know, really crafted. And all these people uh, that I'm talking about, they all did see uh, working at the Last Laugh in the '80s with Gina, with Gina Riley, uh, doing my shows at the Last Laugh in the '80s. After I went solo as Bob, um, you you had to do six shows a week. And so it was a unique way. It was one of the only ways that only places where comedians would would work every night, in the same way that the old Tivoli circuit and Variety circuit comedians worked. You know, most comedians worked on the same fifteen minutes all their life, working lives. Mm. Nobody did more than you did no more than fifteen or twenty minutes if you were headlining at the Palladium or the Palace. That was what you did, and so it was like a Fabergé egg. You could never stop improving it. And so that's what that's what the last laugh and the little joke did for us, all that that generation of Melbourne comedians, because you had to do it every night, and and it's a whole different story recreating something, make staying funny every night for six or eight or three month run or a six month run, and and you're able to do that too because the audience are limited with with who is seeing it. I mean, you go on television and do it. That's right. And everybody's seen your act right. in exactly. fifteen minutes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you've got to come up with something new each yeah, time. Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. So growing up with um, Bert and and Joff Allen, all these great and and um, Happy Hammond and, and all that, but the particularly the comics, yeah. Joff Allen and um, uh, Murray Fields, you know, and all that, and and. Of course, Denise, who was in a lot of those early sketches and was so brilliant as a sidekick for Ernie, and also, yeah, just the the women as much as the as the men. I adored, and we grew up loving them. And they would do all the afternoon kids shows. You see, they had to do the kids shows as well as the tonight be the sketch performers on the tonight shows and the variety shows. So we got to see them, and they'd make up. They they weren't scripted. They just have a sort of a situation that they had to work through in the time of the broadcast. Yeah. So you saw a lot of fun, a lot of silliness and ad libbing, zig and zag, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So clowns, real classic clowns. And so well, and then, little and then, clowns, um, John Michael Howes and yeah, the, clown. Adventure Island. We loved him. We loved yeah. Adventure Island. The drag, Mrs. Flowerpots, all the drag, <laughs> and um, Magic Circle Club. Fred Bear. Now there was a wonder. He was a wonderful comic. Who uh, Ted? Um, 
what was Ted's name? The guy who did um, Fred Bear. He was wonderful. And so we had all of that, which we were soaking up as kids. And we loved old musicals. You know, that they'd play uh, a lot of old films were on pre-to-air television then. Mm. And so MGM the, and yeah, and all the and every every Saturday, Channel Nine in Melbourne. I don't know whether they did it anywhere else, but Channel Nine in Melbourne would play three movies in a row of one particular star or so they would play three Ma and Pa Kettle films they'd play three Jerry Lewis Martin and Lewis films Abbott and Costello they'd play three Abbott and Costellos they'd play three Shirley Temples they'd play three Jane Withers and we just we we watched all three Mm. and and then we'd go and recreate the routines in the backyard Mm. me and my kid sister and the kids next door and so um, it was a great thing and then there was radio you had all those great comedians uh, working on the radio, like Mary Hardy and all those people, and Graham Kennedy and Bert, they all did radio as well. Yeah. And so you'd listen to the, and you, I don't know, I just, I just loved it as a as a fan. I was just soaking it up as a fan. It was never something I, you know, even though we loved putting on little shows in the backyard when we were kids and everything, it never, it wasn't in my mind to perform. Isn't that strange? Mm. But it I'm sounds a very like, late developer as a performer. But, but it sounds like you're quite um, growing up. You were you were obsessed with the media, whether it be radio, television, print, mm. pop, and pop music. Right. You know, I think people now don't. I think I think if you're under forty, you don't really mm. understand how central pop music and rock music was to, to young people because mm. that was all we had. All we had were records and pop radio. That was our point of difference. The thing that we were that was ours that the adults couldn't stand, you know. And so um, music was a big, 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 big part of that as well for me. Gee. Did you have tape recorders and you'd, mm, you'd listen you'd, to the top 40 at night yeah, and, you'd, and want it, you'd tape your favourite songs? songs and, yeah, absolutely. And, <laughs> and also, the, the, the announcer would always come in at the end and ruin it. Yeah, and we also used to make our own um, pop, uh, radio shows. Hmm. We would make our own radio shows as kids. So when I look back, there was more performing than I probably acknowledge. Because we were making our own soap operas. So we're making our own parodies of everything that we loved on TV. Well, what about you know, all those sitcoms that we had too, you know, like Gilligan's Island and mm. I Love Lucy and Bewitched mm. and I Dream yeah. of Jeannie. We lo- I loved all of those and Get Smart yeah. and HR Pup and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Lost in Space. And The Monkeys. Yeah. You see, we loved the stuff with comedy. And also there was a, a big comedy household. I grew up in a big comedy household. Mum and Dad had grown up. Uh, mum and, for mum and dad's generation the goons was their Monty Python because mm. it was genuinely bebop new sensibility comedy and then the same thing happened when we were kids with Monty Python and also with Pete and Dud and also the, the two Ronnies and all of the British comedy that we watched uh, on the ABC we just loved it was a really comedy loving household all of us loved comedy and so that's I think you to, I think you need to come from people that love comedy and also you need to be a, a comedian. I think we're born, not made. Yeah. Um, that's, the, what's, that's what's interesting about comedians. Comedians to me are more like in the class of painters and writers than they are actors and other theatrical performers and, mm. uh, and musicians. Mm. Well, they're like jazz musicians, you know. Mm. So, we're, so that's why a lot of comedians can't act. And a lot of actors can't do comedy. yeah. 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 It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, very interesting. Very and interesting. so I think you you come from a family, because my family used humour and sarcasm on both sides, on mum's side and dad's side. Everybody was very sharp-tongued. And so that's where you get it from. Mm. Going back to the sitcoms, um, I have this theory about the, the campery which existed oh, with those character actors. The monsters. Be, yeah, absolutely. Fred Gwynn, are you kidding? What a queen! 
<laughs> and also, um, you, you look at Uncle um, Harry on the on here's Lucy, Gail Gordon. Gordon, so gay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, Uncle Arthur, Paul. Oh Lind my God! In Bewitched. Oh my God! Yeah, and, and, and not only that, uh, and um, Agnes Moorhead. Yes, and Dora. Oh my God! And Doctor Zachary Smith. Oh, the pain, the pain. William. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Doctor Bellows and I Dream of Jeannie. Yep. Who uh, all? Uh, well, a yep. lot of them. Gay, gay, well, gay, 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 gay. Mm, oh, none of it's um, none of it uh, articulated. You know, all suggested, not articulated, which yeah. is so. Yes, gay and lesbian performers were. You know, uh, Zelda Gilroy on Do- Dobie Gillis, mm. big old dyke, and. And you know, gay performers were sort of like featured, but and in a in a really kind of way that like let the, the viewer, if you were hip enough to know what you were looking at, you knew. But if you weren't, you didn't. Mm. There was that. That was then. I see. I grew in. I was that that time. See, I was. I'm old enough to have grown up into the. It was never going to be an a, acting. Wasn't ever going to be an option for me because I was just too. It was. I was too camp. Mm-hmm. I never would have got work. I never would have got into NIDA. They would have gone, oh, no, 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 too gay. You know, gay producers and gay directors telling you that you're too gay. You know what I mean? So I'm at the tail end of that. I'm in this really interesting crossover generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think that's probably why I got going so late as a performer. See if you can think of it. Boys, they're off. Here's it's not spring bloody racing carnival for nothing, is it? A, a, a quite a prominent actor around town told me that, that in that period, you know, 80s, 90s, there were the casting directors had a gay list. Yeah. Of gay actors. Yeah. And when, when Tim Conagrave came out to me because he was in the Globos, and that was he was in the Globos in 1986 when he found out that he was positive. And or in maybe late '85, uh, Tim begged me. To, I was one of the only people that Tim had told. He had to tell me because we were working together. That's how he felt about it. But he said, "You must not tell anyone hmm. because if it gets out, I'll never get another acting job." Hmm. So not only being gay was a problem, but being HIV positive was like a career death. Isn't that just awful? Shocking. Shocking. Awful. That was what was so terrible about AIDS. It came along just as gay liberation was coming into full flower for everybody. That was what was so appalling about it. And ended the lives of a lot of great oh my creative God. Oh my God. spirits. Where do you begin? Who, uh, yeah, where do you begin? Mm. And, uh... Oh, that's why we were so prepared for this pandemic. We'd already lived through one. Mm-hmm. This is the <laughs> pandemic for everybody. We just had our own exclusive pandemic. <laughs> Yeah. So all of these influences are obviously um, little you know about it, but they're all about to be part of Bob's DNA. Mm. And, you... and my character in the Globos, which was the group that we started before Bob in 1980, uh, was a sort of a proto-Bob, like a you know pop star, like Cliff Richard or um, Bobby V, you know, that those kind of 
and slightly androgynous kind of pop star boys. Right, right. So that was my character in the Globos, which was the sort of prototype of Bob. And then Bob was just the Globos as a solo with singing the songs that I used to lip sync in the Globos. I taught myself to sing being Bob. I thought, oh, I'll sing that now. So the Globos were a lip-syncing group? Mm, all lip-sync. You didn't do anything no. original? Right. Yeah, we did one show where we sang live and it didn't work cause, because that's not, what, that's not what the act was. Right. Um, uh, I didn't know a lot about the Globos, but in my research, you know, there's various clips. You appeared on Countdown. Yeah, we hosted times. Countdown twice. Yeah. I do this whole routine in the show about how I'm old enough to, I've been on every TV show, Australian TV show since Pickerbox. <laughs> Yeah, like I was on, we were on the Don Lane show. I, I, we were on Hey Hey when it was in the morning on right. Saturday mornings. We were on the Mike Walsh show. Wow. Yeah, we, we, did, like, we hosted Countdown twice. It was insane. So I, I feel so lucky to be in that. It's such an interesting well, especially era. Especially a to kid have who was so obsessed totally. with, with all of that. You see, Australia became, Australia went into the modern world in 1972 with the election of, of Whitlam. Mm. But in the previous four or five years with the Seekers and everything, we sort of, and Australian music, you know, became so big. We, it's a wonderful time to have been alive, to have been a kid through the 60s and then a teenager in the 70s because Australia joined the, world, the 20th century. You know, it took about 60 years, but we got there in the late 60s. And so it was a fantastic time to be young and also to be going into the business because the opportunities were huge. And then there was this big, in Melbourne in particular, there was this big uh, comedy, new comedy revival that was that paralleled what was happening in London, you know, with, um, uh, you know, Dawn French and everybody. And the same thing happened in Melbourne because John Pinder knew what was happening in London and he opened the flying trapeze and then opened the last laugh, and the Melbourne comedy scene was going at the same time. So people time. like Wendy Harmer, yeah, and yeah, Gina yeah. Riley, yeah, and yeah, Jane yeah, Turner and... yeah, all of us, all of us, we're all of that same generation. And I was just with all of them, um, Andrew Goodwin and uh, Tony Rickards, and all these fantastic Melbourne comedy legends. That, uh, Tracy Harvey, they were all at Doug's funeral yesterday, and it was fabulous to to commune with them yeah. and realise that we're we're that we're the elders of something really interesting. The Globos were born out of a mucking around in your, at a party. Your we were going to put on it. We just decided we were going to put on a show at our party. We were having it because Wendy, uh, because I'd become friends with Wendy, and she and I were obsessed with show business and obsessed with sixties pop music, and we wanted to put on a show. So we thought we'll do a, a version of Commotion. There was a lip, afternoon lip sync TV show on Melbourne TV called Commotion with a K. Commotion, that great. And Molly Meldrum and Denise and everybody used to lip sync uh, live. It was live every afternoon. And they used to go out to Nunawading Channel 10 and lip sync records. They were given records to learn and then they lip synced them while they played the record and then kids would lip sync them. That was the show. And so what we were recreating was that, a lip sync TV, pop TV show. Wow. I know, with, um, and then lip syncing old ads in between the songs, right. those campy old radio ads. And those decades too, that's the evolution of the uh, pop music video as well, isn't yeah, it? That's, that's right. Starting off. Exactly. Isn't it? And, and and yet, what commotion happened because they didn't have the clips. Hmm. They didn't I mean, have I the clips. Abba they with just, Waterloo was the first one to. That's be. right. They like they didn't have. All they had was the records. We yeah. didn't see the clips because we didn't have Top of the Pops or American Bandstand. They yeah. for some reason nobody thought to show Top of the Pops or American Bandstand on Australian TV. Yeah. God knows why. So we have to imagine what these artists look like. Isn't that funny? Yeah. So, so that's what the Globos was. And then the Globos, the reaction to that first party was outrageous. And we started doing the, 
Wendy was at that show, Wendy Harmer was at that show and, and organised us late show bookings at the Flying Trapeze in Fitzroy. So we started working the Melbourne comedy circuit in 1980 and then we all joined St Martin's after I met Gina. Youth Theatre? Uh, yeah, the Martin's Youth Theatre. And because right. it turned out we were living around the corner. I was living on Park Street in South Yarra and wow. Gina was living across the road with her family. So we became, so we joined St Martin's. Wendy and I particularly joined St Martin's. And then the, the modern, the, the final pro professional version of the Globos was people we'd met at St Martin's in 1982 when we got the record deal and made Tintorella de Luna and that took off as a hit. And then we got booked for the opening season at Kinsella's where we just... We were the, we just it just exploded the re- response to the group because we were in the heart of lip sync land, so people got of it. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. That must have been a great period. I, I, oh. missed, I missed Kinsella's, but it was a, oh, it was a, a renovated a, funeral parlour. That's it? right. It was a three-level funeral, old funeral parlour. So Tony Bilson and Leon Fink and Anders Ausback start have created a magnificent restaurant on the ground floor, an incredible bar on the middle floor, and the t- turned the top floor, which had been where they made the coffins this huge warehouse space into a 200-seat cabaret room. Wow. It was incredible, absolutely incredible. And uh, we were booked to do The Late Show. And Penny Chapman booked us um, because she, she was uh, doing that. She was booking The Late, late Show Act. And it was just um, incredible what happened. And so we all ended up seriously in the biz with this lucky coincidence that Tintorella took off as a hit record at the same time as we opened Kinsella's. Who would perform Tinderella? Well, Wendy sang it. Right, okay. You see, right. Wendy sang it. And we, then you We made records that. and then lip-synced our records oh, okay, among right. the, all the other old records. It's so weird. We opened for... We toured with Cliff Richard. <laughs> Dig my head in. We, we did an opening... We opened for Cliff Richard. Yeah. And we took... We lip-synced, I lip-synced Cliff Richard's record uh, on the beach in the show. Wow. So it was great for the audience because they all knew who was singing, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the interview you did with Molly and Countdown, and I encourage people to seek it out on, yes. on YouTube and have a look, you're an adorable young youth. Oh, I'm gorgeous. So is Wendy. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we were gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. That, that, I think that was the thing that made the Globos really work, particularly at Taylor Square. We, we were drag, but the boys were boys and the girls were girls, and we were all young and gorgeous. And Wendy had this ability to create the most stunningly authentic 50s and 60s hair and makeup and uh, we, we really worked hard on getting the costumes right. So we just looked like we'd stepped out of 1961 and young and gorgeous with it. I know, it's amazing, isn't mm-hmm. it, how young and gorgeous we are? Mm-hmm. Well, like we're 20, 22 or something? Babies. 23. And I say goodnight to my boyfriend at the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when Molly signs off, I say goodnight, Ludwig. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? You um you also um intimate that you were about to do a musical at the yeah. STC the following. What was that? And well, what, it what all fell through. Didn't we were going to do it. We were going. To, I, I'm not even sure why, how, or why it fell through. But how it ended up was it ended up being the t- the uh, show that we did called Tonight Tonight at Kinsella's, which was us singing. There was always this thing that you shouldn't you should you shouldn't keep lip syncing. You should start uh, writing and uh, your own songs, and you should start singing. It wasn't the point. See, because lip sync was the, you know, the poor relation, still Mm. is, the poor relation of showbiz, Mm. like drag was. Mm. See, the great thing about RuPaul, even though I can't stand him, but the the great thing about RuPaul is it's made drag, and Priscilla have made drag mainstream. Yeah. And so so drag is now accepted and loved as as the art form that it is, and lip sync is still the poor relation. Yeah. 
And, and so, you know, looking back, we, we sort of took that on. Oh, yes, we shouldn't be just lip syncing. But the whole point was that we were lip syncing. That was the point. Because, we you know, you, when you, like Capriccio's, when you see great lip sync, if someone lip syncs totally accurately, it becomes something quite transcendent. Mm, mm. Because you do suspend disbelief. If someone lip syncs perfectly, because we used to really work hard on the T's and the D's at the end of, and the S's. Yeah and not make any sound, even though when you were lip-syncing an S and all yeah. that, we used to work really hard on getting the lip-sync absolutely in- and perfect. And, of course, when you've recorded your own voice, it's really easy to lip-sync to your own voice for the spoken stuff. You know, the shape of it. Yeah, yeah. and when you put music behind any spoken yeah. stuff, it yeah. really helps you lip-sync it accurately. Yeah. And so there, there was real pleasure in that, yeah. you know, intrinsic, that, that we should have probably... Um, I still love lip syncing to this day. I, I, me and Cindy will be lip syncing tomorrow at the Metro Rally. And we, I love lip syncing. Yeah, yeah. You're, know, you're describing such a vibrant, exciting time in, in Sydney life. You mm. know, Kinsella's was a, that's where the place where everybody went or in the arts to, to, to catch up. Um, oh my God. The bourbon and beefsteak in George in Harrison Cross. took us to dinner. Really? George yeah. Harrison. Whoever to was dinner. in town would, yeah. would call in. Yeah. Somebody, a friend of mine, a young dancer friend of mine, all the kids from the shows used to pile into Kinsella's to see us perform because we were on after they all finished their shows because <clears throat> we didn't used to go until 2 in the morning, 2.30 in the morning, can you imagine? And uh, that was the days when you didn't go out to dinner until 10 or 11. Wow. And, um, and a friend of mine told me that there was this uh, old, slightly, you know, some couple in their 30s in front of them canoodling while we started and he was furious and his friend said don't no no don't leave them alone he went no they've got to shut up because I want to see the show they were blocking his view and he tapped them on the shoulder it was Joni Mitchell and Jeremy Irons (laughs) (laughs) incredible they were incredible days Mm -hmm. and we were like mascots see we were because because the middle bar became this hangout for show folk with Billy O'Reardon playing piano and everything it was we just met everybody and they adopted us like mascots. They were all so kind and sweet to us. You know, people like Bobby Hornery and everybody. And we were on with, um, we were double bill with Geraldine Turner. So we, we had this fantastic entree into Sydney theatrical life that was like a, a sort of a, another chapter like what had happened with Max, getting to know Max Phipps. Mm-hmm. I suppose it's inevitable that, that things change, times change. Um... What, why Why does that happen? Why, why is Oxford Street not the place that it once was? The trouble with Oxford Street is that it's a throughway. You know, it, it'd be like Castro works br- brilliantly uh, and so does, um, you know, uh, Greenwich Village, you know, Stonewall, you know, Sheridan Square, but, you know, the West Village. Because none of the... Oxford Street's a throughway. It, it's, if Castro, it's like if the Castro was on Market Street, it wouldn't work. It's a side street. So we ju- we just need we'll never t- until we stop the traffic on Oxford Street, it'll never it'll never get back. Well, see, back in the day, it had a big um, median strip, and so I don't know. There was something about that made it stop. And the traffic wasn't as wild or something. It's now like you know people speed up there. It's, yeah. it's dangerous. Yeah. The traffic's dangerous. And then the other thing about Oxford Street, I suppose, is that. Um, when they've when they've when they've killed the, you know they deliberately killed the cross because they wanted to turn you know because developers wanted to build multi million dollar apartments so they've deliberately gentrified the cross and so there was nowhere else for any of the young people to go except Oxford Street so Oxford Street's become 
like a sort of the plague, a stra- you know, playground for young straight people in the same way that the cross used to be. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of gay, you know, gay villages are very sensitive and you know delicate places. And so if if you sort of um, if they're inv- they've got the numbers on us, you know what I mean? There's yeah. nine of them for every one of us, yeah. so they can they can kind of wreck it. Uh, so Oxford Street's just been very badly managed for such a long time. And so I think, and also then you've got the rise of the apps. You've got that combination of the rise of the dating apps and cruising apps, along with the fact that a lot of young gay people have been so accepted since they were kids um, that they've just, they're just part of their own social world with their straight friends, where their, their, their friendships, the sexuality isn't part of dividing up their social world. Yeah. So that's another reason why a place like Oxford Street sort of loses its thing but you see it's just not true like if you think about Compton Street in London which is a site a small street and you think about the Castro and you think about the West Village uh, and the gay those little gay areas in Berlin which are all on side streets they've got really vibe there's no reason not to have a really vibrant gay village but you have to nurture it and protect it mm. and whereas Oxford Street's just been a, such a clusterfuck for so long you sort of wonder if it could come back has Bob Down um, admitted his sexuality? Or? Yeah, he has now. It's just me. Bob Down's out. just me with a wig on now. Right. <laughs> it's great. I was talking about it with Gina yesterday. We were laughing. She said, "Oh, darling, it was you've been. It's been you with a wig on for ages," and and it was sort of like it is, and it's so freeing because of that. I now introduce Steph. I now introduce my husband at gigs. Right, right. He gets up and does the merch with me. The wig is the crowning glory. Yeah, there. of course it is. It's great. Is is that? When you feel finally like Bob, you put that yeah, on. Yeah, very much so. It. Once you put on, you know what it's like. If you've got a character, if you have a character mm-hmm. outfit and you're watching yourself transform as you make up and put the wig and the costumes and everything on, suddenly it's bing, it's there in front of you. Yes, very much so. So um, he was... But you don't, But I'm not Bob backstage. There's none of, there's none of that crap right, that Barry Humphreys does <laughs> where you've got to be... You've got to, to him call as Edna. As Edna. Mm-hmm. It's none of that shit. It's right. just... So pretentious. Right. Sorry. Sorry, Barry, if you're listening. <laughs> so Bob was birthed in 1984. Yeah, because I was working with a fabulous girl called Kathy Armstrong, who's still a very close friend. And we were. I was, it was after Globos broke up, I, I got a job at a friend's cafe, over in Cafe Troppo in Glebe. And um, Kathy was working in the kitchen and we just hit it off straight away and started killing ourselves laughing and riffing and ad-libbing around with characters and voices and things. And um, and there was a Glebe food fair every year that people would put on skits outside their business. And so we just started to put on a, a thing where I would... It was inspired by Rona Barrett's awful interviews on Entertainment This Week where she'd be really rude to these big stars. It's just like, whoa. And so we made a, a, created an interview that was a parody of that. And so I was a, a, a sort of a shop dummy American TV interviewer. That, that's why Bob was American to start with. I was a, a shop dummy um, American interviewer being cruel to a, to her spaced out sort of Sally Struthers style starlet. So that was how it started. Right. And I needed a name for the character because I had to sign off, you know, Bob Down, entertainment tonight. You know, they sign off. <laughs> and so that's why I needed the name. If I'd known I was going to do a solo with it, I probably would have thought of something much more complicated as a name, but it's great that I didn't. Mm-hmm. Such a simple, great name. Mm-hmm. And to this day, people go, oh... Bob Down. Oh, you know, I get it. You know, it's funny. There's a handful of those great 
character creations who who are interviewers. I'm thinking of um, Jeremy Glick. Yeah, that's was, right. Um, Martin Short's character. Yep, 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 yep. And of course, Gunston. Yeah, well, see, Gunston was probably Gunston was a yes. I think sending up the interview format would have been totally inspired by Norman Gunston for sure. Mm. Yeah, 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 for sure. You, you've got a backstory for Bob. You'd obviously have to sort of yeah. work out where he's come oh, from. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. His, his he lives with life. his mother at, at a caravan park in Mwollomba. Still, yeah. Yeah, he's a confirmed bachelor. So he's still closety in his own little local media world, like those. A lot of them still are yeah, in that world, in that yeah. little local media world. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's funny when you think about all those country queens that are not really out. Yes, yes. It's really quite. I suppose that's we're right at the end of that era, aren't we? And you see, that's what I love. You see all these young gay uh, TV reporters on the ABC, particularly. Like, and and the Nate, you know that gorgeous young weatherman, mm. who's now going to be the uh, one of the um, mascots for uh, Chill Out, you know. And you just think, what a great new era, because they're so they're all these young gay and lesbian presenters and, yeah. per- and performers. Yeah. As I always, as I say on stage, I've lost my point of difference. I used to be the only gay in the village. I'm going to have to go back <laughs> not in the anymore, closet. Not anymore. So um, it's it's amazing the era that we're in now. You're here witnessing the recording of my new live album. Thank you very much, because that cheer, of course, we'll be able to put in for all the dead spots. And, uh, ah, yes, I thought, oh, I thought long and hard about what I should call it too, Teddy, didn't I? And I was talking about it with Ted, and Ted said, well, what about those old Ray Conniff albums? I said, what? And he was telling me about Ray Conniff. Did your mum have Ray Conniff albums? Ted's got the whole lot on eight-track cartridge. That's why you haven't been able to get rid of the P76, is it, Ted? He cannot find a mechanic who will switch over the 8-track for him. Quite apart from the fact that it's a magnificent car. Apple green. Love it. And, uh, and you wouldn't think it'd go with chocolate brown upholstery, either. <laughs> You're right, it bloody doesn't. And, but Teddy takes me for rides because he, he's part of my musical instruction at the moment. I was like, I'm getting jazzy. And, and of course, those Ray Conniff albums, they all had sort of names like Smarvelous, didn't they? Remember? It's wonderful. It's true, isn't it? So I thought, yes, I'll call mine Bob Down. It's jazzy. It's pretty good, isn't it? It's not bad. It's Bob Down. It's live. <laughs> At the Slyric. <laughs> and how much I'm going to milk that bloody joke. What do you reckon? Oh, fantastic. And of course, when and, and the boys were very nervous, I said... Well, you got to do a, a Royal Command variety I did. Yeah. Because yeah. so you lived scary. in London for a while. I lived you? in London from yeah. 90, about 89, 90 to 99. I was based in London for that 10 years. Right. And I did the Royal Variety in uh, 95. And it was, it was such a shame that year because the two things that were a shame about that year was that it wasn't at the Palladium because Cameron McIntosh had up some set that couldn't... some big, elaborate show running where they couldn't take the set down and put it back up <clears throat> within a 24-hour period. So we couldn't get, get the Palladium, which was such a bummer because the Palladium is the great... I've done the Palladium with Lily Savage and it's the greatest theatre I've ever played in my life. It is unbelievable to do comedy on that stage because it's such a narrow auditorium. It, there's really not far between you and the back wall. It's wide rather than deep and it's got ba- the three balconies. It's just... In, they're right on top of you. So I couldn't. So it wasn't at the Palladium, and then it was the one, first year that Channel Seven didn't broadcast it here. 
Oh. It's like, fuck you, Channel 7. Yeah, yeah. I work all my life to get to the Royal Variety and no one knows it happened. Anyway, so, and it was terrifying because you had to, every, as a comic, the thing you hate the most is when a TV company says, well, we have to have every word of your routine. It's like, oh, God. Because even you don't know what every word of your routine no, is exactly. going to be. But they wanted it. That's what they wanted. So it was like a military drill. All that stuff about what you do when she comes backstage and all that shit. You know, don't talk, speak to your spoken to and blah, blah, blah. So it was a pretty scary experience. And also the audience was so old because the tickets were so, are so expensive. They're all used car dealers from Essex. Mm, mm. You know, they're not my crowd put it that way and so all I had was in the first few moments uh, when I first when I finished my opening song uh, all I could see was a sea of grey heads looking into the program going who the fuck is this you know like looking in their programs (laughs) nobody's looking at it they're all looking down and then on top of that the one thing that wasn't rehearsed to the the final syllable was Des O'Connor's introduction I hadn't heard it until I was about to go on I was coming in through the house and he made a whole lot of anti-Australian jokes. Oh, no. Nah. Because the one thing you used, I used to say to MCs when I was working in the UK was, don't say I'm Australian. I will tell them. Don't say I'm Australian. Because you hear them practically go, mm, like that. Oh, he totally saboted me with it. So they were cold as ice. Mm. And what I did was I front-loaded... Before I got into the agreed stuff that was... Because it was being taped. It wasn't live to air. So I front-loaded... I did a bit of sort of character establishment, who who he is and where he's from, before I went into the prepared comedy material that was agreed that was going to be in the broadcast. And so when I came off... And I and so I finally got... And so when, when you watch it, they're already... They're laughing because I've they, they've cut it in... And when I came off, Jeff Thacker, the producer, just hugged me. He knew exactly what I'd done. He was so impressed with how I pulled it out of the... Because at first, I swear to God, at first, it's not on... It's a shame in a way that it's not on tape. But I did the opening number and I got on stage and there was virtually no applause. And I was standing there and my my mind was racing um, and thinking, I'm dying at the Royal Variety performance yeah. and the Queen and Prince Philip are mm. in the box. Mm. That's what... If you start thinking that, you are in such danger. Sabotage yourself. I had to really... I was so proud of myself for pulling that out of the fire. I still can't... Even though I've posted it, I can't watch it because it was so traumatic. It was such a traumatic experience. But it turned into a complete triumph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is Bob going to be around for another couple of decades, do you think? Um, yeah, maybe. Have you thought about... Maybe I think it'd be fun to have him old. I think it'd be fun to do a Quentin Crisp with him to get to at some point get a purple, a purpley, you know, um, oh, yes, silver wig. The wig is has a, has a blue rinse. So I, I think it'd be fun to. Be, I don't know. I, I just don't know. I don't know. I, I'll, I'll. I guess I'll know. I'll know when I when it's right not to do him anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I saw a photo. Somebody posted a photo. Somebody took a photo of Steph the other night at the SGLBA Awards. And Steph's, um, Steph's in front of me performing on the screen behind. And I, sh- I should send that to you, actually. That's so that's me on the TV screen. Yeah, yeah. And that's Steph at the, at the Sheraton. Yeah. But look at, look at that. I mean, Bob's just... 
timeless. <laughs> that could be 10 or 20 years ago. That's the best jumpsuit. Yeah, it is. He is timeless. Yeah. He is so timeless. I've got a routine. I say, let's face it, I'm, I'm not getting any older. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so while, while it still works, I'll keep doing it. Mm. I think while it still works as, as a visual thing, I'll, I'll keep doing it. The great thing about stage, because, for example, Paul O'Grady doesn't do Lily Savage on TV anymore, but will do Lily Savage on stage, because the great thing about stage is makeup and, and distance. And distance. Yeah. So that's, that, and, and, and the fact that my, my TV career never took off properly yeah. has meant that I've had to stay working live yeah. all my working life, and it's actually the best thing that could have happened. Yeah. Isn't it ironic? I've been very fortunate to have two encounters with Bob in the last six months, I think, at the, the Adelaide Cabaret Festival, oh, where you did in Adelaide tonight with Woolsey. Oh, and that was wonderful. recently a, a season at the Paddington RSL. Yeah, which I'm in the middle of a tour of. Yeah, yeah. Viva Bob Vegas. So, Bob's so, Lounge Act. The <laughs> Vegas Lounge Act. And it's a great show. Great and so show. Ted Robinson came, who's directed uh, The Way We Were, my TV show on the ABC when I was performing as myself. Um, and the big, everything from the big gig. He used to be the head of comedy at ABC. And Ted said, Ted came and said that the show is like a distillation of everything I've ever done. So it's like, which is fabulous, isn't it? Mm. Mm. So in that way, that's the other reason why I'll keep doing it is while I feel like I'm still improving. And it's you know such I mean? a it's wonderful... It's not over the hill. No, no. And it's such a wonderful tonic for the, the <clears throat> shit two years that we've just oh been through God, totally. to go and smile all the way through <laughs> totally have a good laugh it's fantastic and um, also to be to be very sparing in the COVID to, referring to the COVID too yeah get it do a few jokes right up top and then forget about it because yeah. we all We're want to forget mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. it it's the same with anything bad that's happened you have to refer to it but don't go don't don't make it the central part of what you're talking about because people want to get you want to take their minds off something mm-hmm. yeah so um, yes, I suppose. So if if I felt that the character was over the hill, there was a time when I did feel that, and that's why I started performing and, and singing as myself. And I thought that I was going to let Bob go, but the but the experience of performing, you know, doing radio and television as myself and singing as myself in cabaret made me return to Bob with renewed enthusiasm because I realised what how special it was to have created something like that that people have such a long relationship with. And affection. Yeah, it's it's a very blessed and privileged position to be in. Mm. And and it's not that I want to exploit it, it's just that I should keep doing it. If people want it, I'll keep, you know, if we all want to keep doing it, I'll keep doing it. I suppose the way will be shown, won't it? The time will come when it feels right. And, and I don't know how it is that I've escaped all this cancel culture crap. You know what I mean? Because to me, it's it's like, and this this bullshit stuff about PC, it, that's a load of shite. Because really, if you're a good comic, the whole point of comedy is to push it to the very limit, and let them make the last link. Do you know? You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. like, yeah. If you're really good, you can work around. You can talk about anything. I'm quite, it's quite filthy what I do, you know. But somebody said to me, it's like somebody came back, back uh, at the meet and greet after at the paddo. They, somebody said something so fabulous. What did they say? They said, oh, it's really old school, but of course it's totally now, is what someone said to me. And that's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's like an old school variety act, TV host character, but doing completely contemporary stand-up in between the songs. And it's a bit of a shame that most people who know me from television only see me sing songs. They don't really see the stand-up, mm. which is a shame. 
which is very funny. Yeah, very funny. and stand-up. I once uh, measured um, the time. I was really interested to measure what, how much time-wise, minute-wise, how much was stand-up and how much was song, and I always thought it was half and half. It's actually, if, if it's ever more than a third of music of, the, of a show, is, if it's ever more than 30%, you've got, you have to cut a song. It's 70% stand-up and 30% music. You cannot violate that rule because, you, you know, sometimes you end up with too many songs, you put too many songs in, you yeah, have yeah. to drop them. Yeah. Got, How wild is that? You've got to have your quota of, of Bob Patter. Yeah, that's what they're there, they, they, that's what they're there for. Yeah. Isn't it funny? And I've always, the Patter's always been the last thing I work on. I never really know. I know that I'm going to do five minutes here and seven minutes there and whatever. But I never really know until the, I guess because you don't know what's what's going. It depends on what's been going on that week and that month. Mm. Mm. Mark, thank you so much. This has been a lovely conversation. My pleasure. Mm. I think there's two episodes in it. Two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you. T dear. Scarlet billows start to spread. Are my ears bleeding? As he loves them, when they hear dear. So there's never, never a trace of rain. What a delight it was to spend that hour with Mark Trevorrow. His is a fascinating career and one that has brought immense joy to audiences around the world. Viva la Bob. As discussed, Mark is about to take Bob on the road and I urge you to see the show if it is at a venue near you. Viva Bob Vegas will play Darwin on January 21, Gosford January 23, the Gold Coast January 28, Melbourne February 11, 12 and 13, up to Brisbane for February 19 and 20 and then back to Sydney for February 25 and 26. I think a couple of glorious shows just prior to Mardi Gras. More information can be found at bobdown.com. That's down with an E. Check out the stage's socials on Instagram and Facebook to see the various pics Mark discussed in this episode. My guest today, Mark Trevorrow, a.k.a. Bob Down. Thanks for joining us in this episode. You can check out all of the episodes featured in the podcast thus far by visiting our website, www.stagespodcast.com.au. I'm Peter Ayers. Keep well, keep warm, and I'll catch you next time. It's back in town I said Jerry Diver Short break. Chuck Vaughan in the Bob Down Five. We'll see you in 15 minutes, all right? Don't go away. Okay, you can stay.